I'm Dawn Ennis. I'm Carly Chardonnay Webb. And welcome back to the Transporter Room. This episode, we have Chloe Thigh Anderson. She is going to be joining us from California and talking about both her volleyball experience, her life as a transgender woman, her love of Star Trek Deep Space Nine, and what she's doing these days. We also have a look at the news. Carly, you startled me this morning. I know you didn't mean to, but the news that Nikki Aragus Lloyd has passed away has just broken my heart. I'm overwhelmed. I, I, I got to meet this lovely woman in California back in 2015, and we've been friends since before and after. What an activist. What a wonderful woman. What an awesome life she's led. And I just can't believe it's been cut short. I'm still floored by it. I mean, uh, I just happened to glance on Twitter and I happened to check out Monica Roberts' Twitter. And I saw that and I was like, I was floored because, I mean, this isn't some story from long ago. This is this is the last few years. This is relatively recent. And in many ways, what she did and the fought that she fought, fought in Texas, it flipped marriage equality in a red state. And in one of the most red of the red states as well. I mean, that... That really, in many ways, changed the landscape and changed the entire... It flipped the field as far as marriage equality in this country. And it cannot be understated. But once again, it shows that trans folks are up front and in the trenches in the fights, which, which is just another thing that certain people like the LGB Alliance need to understand. It's a sad day for all of us who believe in democracy and equality. It's a sad day. And I will tell you that she, early on, had to face some of the most bitter, angry, awful transphobes, people calling her a man, people talking about her past, all because she was married to a brave firefighter who lost his life, and she felt entitled to widow benefits. And his family fought her tooth and nail in court. She ultimately prevailed. She remarried, met a wonderful, wonderful man, William Lloyd, the artist. She was helping him to raise their beautiful children, and I just, my heart goes out to all of them and everyone who knew and everyone who even just followed Nikki. She was an inspiration and I, I'm, I'm just blown away. I also wanted to give you an update regarding Texas. Last week I told you about the transgender girl whose battle to be herself has been a subject of much controversy in Texas. Her mom had uh, fought to take custody away from her dad who kept dressing her up as a boy, who kept insisting that she was not the transgender girl she believes her to be. She's seven years old. A jury found that the mother should have sole custody, voted 11 to 1, and the judge overturned the verdict under political pressure from the governor, the state attorney general. And I just learned the mother's attorneys are asking the judge to be recused from further court cases involving this poor little girl. This judge definitely has an axe to grind or is some kind of um, activist. Even though she's a Democrat, she obviously can't be trusted. Well, you know, transphobia knows no party. You know, you understand that. I mean, I mean, we're seeing we're seeing this in this country. We're seeing this across the Atlantic. I just chalk up to one thing. There's an election year coming up. And as we're as we saw as we saw with the ads that came out in, that came out in Kentucky and Mississippi that were anti-trans, there I mean the reactionaries are going to run on any they're going to run on anything to try and win, and you can bet that next year in Texas 
this is going to be this is going to be a cause celebrate for the unhinged transphobic right wing as well. And it's sad because ultimately what we're talking about is a seven year old child. And we're talking about that child's well-being. And and that child's well-being is best served by letting Luna be who she is. I agree. And also, I'd like to just wrap up the news with a very inspiring story that I wrote for Outsports. It's about a cricket player who's transgender. Her name is Maxine Blithen. She was named Sportswoman of the Year, and that earned her nothing but negative tabloid headlines and an attack from a very famous British activist for the far right, someone who Donald Trump loves to retweet. And who came to her defense? Her cisgender captain, Emmy Beaumont, and she shut down that activist. I'm looking at the tweet right here. Personally, I'm proud to call her my teammate, my friend, so please don't speak for me or my ovaries. I mean, she she raked Katie Hopkins over the coals for that. I mean, and all because, and, and Maxine's story has been all, unfortunately, the transphobic press in Britain have been all over her. The Daily Fail and the Tory Graph have jumped on her. Of course, people like Fair Play UK, you know, the British subsidiaries of the Heritage Foundation, they've been running this story to death. Uh, but it's good to see somebody speaking out. Tammy Beaumont, good on you. The next time I'm in Britain, I'm going to find you and buy you a pint because that that's the type of cisgender allyship you need. That's the type you, That's the type trans people need. They need someone that's willing to stand up and say, not in my name. Not on my watch. It was beautiful to see that. Ask them any issue in women's sports right now, and a lot of these transphobes couldn't tell you. For example, how many of these people know the regulations? How many of these people could talk about things such as the WNBA's collective bargaining agreement, which is being negotiated right now, or talk about the, the women's national soccer team's fight for equal play? They can't tell you a thing, but they will jump all over this issue. It's, it's ridiculous. And you're seeing the same thing across the pond. But Tammy Beaumont, again, good on you for what you did. Thank you, Tammy Beaumont. Remember that name. Now, another name that you should know is our next guest. Let's beam Chloe Cy Anderson into the transporter room. Chloe, are you with us? Yes, I'm here. Hey, welcome. Hello. Chloe, good to finally get to hear your voice. Good to finally meet you. Yeah, likewise. Chloe, for those who don't already know, was a star volleyball player for UC Santa Cruz. She transitioned. She had quite the extraordinary experience, which we'll talk about shortly, and is right now studying history at UCI. And Chloe, I'd like to just ask you right now, what is it about being who you really are that gets people so upset? You're just living your life, right? Yeah, you know, sometimes it's hard to really understand why people are so angry against me trying to live my life. I don't understand what motivates them to wake up in the morning and go and just say very violent and rude messages towards me. When we met in June, I was fortunate enough to be moderating a panel at Outsports Pride at which you were a member, and you were there to tell your story. It's an emotional experience for all of us. What did you get from that experience? What did you feel in terms of the support that you saw from people who were not trans trying to understand your experience? 
Well, first off, I'd like to say that that panel was the first panel I had ever been on since starting sports in 2014 that was composed of other transgender women in athletics. And that in itself for me was a very emotional moment because I had gone to all these different conferences and panels around the country, and I was the only one representing trans women in sports, or for collegiate sports at least. So having that panel first off was very emotional for me because I felt like I wasn't alone. And that was something that really haunted me when I was actively playing. As for having such a wonderful and supportive audience, I think that it really surprised me how many people after I spoke came up to me and wanted to talk more and, and get to know more about me and figure out what they can do to try and prevent things from getting bad in, in their potential future students' lives or what they can do to help advocate on behalf of trans athletes. And that really struck me because when I finish panels, people don't always approach me and they don't always come over and try to understand what they can do to help out with their local community. And so it really surprised me. I've even been reached out in emails by a number of people who are attending there wanting to get my opinions on how they can continue to further help protect and make sure that the trans community gets the support that it needs in and out of athletics. Sherman, let's set the way back machine about, oh, about six years. What made you decide to move? What What was the one thing that made you decide to move forward and say, I want to play ball. I want to play ball. I want to play at the college level. I want back on the court again. And I want this as myself. What What pushed you to that point? What, what led you to go for it and make that decision? So I always participated in sports starting in middle school. Uh, I started my volleyball career in seventh grade and continued to play volleyball up until my senior year. Though it wasn't always for a high school team, I did play for a club. So I always had a passion for volleyball. It wasn't until after high school when I transitioned that I really wanted to go back because I hadn't started college and I really wanted to have a chance to go play for a college team. And that had been one of my dreams growing up is participating in a college volleyball team. And in 2012, I believe the NCAA released a transgender handbook. Correct me if I'm wrong. And then in 2013, California released its own law called AB 1266, which is a law called the School Success and Opportunity Act, in which it talks about the protection of transgender youth in all extracurricular activities. And with the combination of the NCAA and the state of California ruling in favor of transgender students and in public institutions. I knew that if I went for a community college to start playing again, that I would have a law to back me up in California. So uh, it's actually really funny in hindsight. Everywhere I went, I had this manila folder filled with about 60 pages worth of documents, including all of my uh, my birth certificate, my social security card, uh, all of my paperwork to prove that I am who I am, on top of the fact that I also carried the NCAA handbook and the law, the AB1266. 
So whenever people would confront me, I had my athletic director after my first preseason game actually be like, well, your gender identity is under question. We're going to have to like suspend you for a brief period. I just left this big folder on her table and was like, so when am I going to start playing again? And she was like, hold on, let me get copies of all of your paperwork and you should be good by the end of the day. And I was. You want to know something? Yeah. I'm a competitive runner and a triathlete. I do the exact same thing. Yeah. I have, I have what I call the crash folder too. It It's honestly a really good way to go about playing sports because it just feels so good to be like, I have all this paperwork to back me up. <laughs> yeah, it does. Yeah, but yeah, but still, I mean, I'm, I'll bet it was, I'll bet even so, it was a, it was a bit nerve wracking because I mean, in reading in reading in your story and your experience when you were a banana slug at Santa Cruz, um, by the way, interesting nickname for a team. But I mean, it was a it was a rough go, even with all even with all the rules and regulations backing backing. In some ways, it was a it was a rough go. It definitely was. I thought going in that I would be prepared and that I would just throw down my big packet, my big manila folder, and just stand up for myself. And I found that sometimes it's really hard to identify when things are going wrong when you're trying so hard to make things go right. I was pushing myself to try and have a positive experience and try to have a good time. And in doing so, I didn't even realize that I was starting to dissociate on the court and I started to have a lot of mental health issues. The way the coach treated me just made me feel like I wasn't welcome on the team at all. If I could just weigh in, I'm always upset when we think about so-called quote-unquote mental health issues as being a hindrance. Do you know that if we talked about elbow health or back health or uh, big toe health, so when we talk about mental health, we'd all be better off. There shouldn't be a stigma associated with mental health. We all have mental health. We all have issues where we're feeling maybe a little depressed, maybe a little uh, upside down. And I feel that your struggles are valid and your struggles are yours. I just wish people would be able to recognize that taking care of your mental health is just as important as taking care of your elbow, your back, and your big toe. It's just it's so depressing to me that in this year, 2019, we still can't really get our minds around the fact that, you know, some of us struggle. Some of us need assistance. Maybe that comes in the form of a um, medical professional. Maybe it comes in the form of medication. But the people who aren't looking at their mental health, those are the people I worry about. Those are the people that really concern me who don't pay attention to the signals that their mental health isn't, you know, what it should be. And I, I, I yeah. applaud you for getting it addressed. Thank you. I, um, in hindsight, my coach was actively trying to undermine my mental health during my entire season. And the fact that it just continued to happen, honestly, is kind of upsetting. He was caught doing some things that he probably shouldn't do. Chloe, that, that coach, isn't he still coaching? How does that make you feel? He's no longer coaching at UC Santa Cruz. Um, but it does make me feel very upset knowing that 
he's continuing to coach in women's sports when he so clearly doesn't understand the basic fundamentals of team dynamics in women's sports. And he actually got suspended very briefly by the NCAA for the way that he treated his new team at the new school he transferred to. So, Wow. Do you miss competing, Chloe? I do. I really miss the camaraderie I had on the court, and I feel like I really miss having that sort of support, not just like to push each other better physically, but to be there to help each other out with uh, emotional difficulties in life and to know that if anything was happening, that there was a group that I could rely on. I noticed that finally playing for a team that was more me over the past couple of years. I mean, talk about that a little bit. Talk about how different that dynamic is compared to, say, a male locker room dynamic. I actually like to talk about this. Um, When I was playing men's volleyball, I think one of the things that we bonded over was how hard we could hit the ball or how great of plays we could make. And we would sort of just be like, wow, look at that block. And everyone would be like, that was such a good block. Or like, you'd get a good serve in and, and if it was an ace, everyone would just be like, you know, that was, that was a great hit. Like they, they bonded over their own abilities to hit the ball hard or make great plays. And that was something that I wasn't really the most fond of when I was playing men's volleyball. Um, But when I started playing women's volleyball, it felt like a lot of the team dynamics were on and off the court. If your team couldn't function off the court, it couldn't function on the court. I found that the way that the games are played are also very different. Uh, Women's volleyball is a lot more strategic, and it typically has longer rallies, as where in men's volleyball, um, it seems to be a lot more about power plays. Granted, there is still a lot of uh, strategy and dynamics in the game that are in both of them, but the way that the mindset of the players feels is a little different. Do you still take in an occasional match? Do you still watch the sport here and there? I will watch it if it shows up. Um, I haven't played in a few years. Actually, since I left Santa Cruz, I haven't gotten back on the court myself, but I do still watch it. I'm a huge college volleyball fan. And I mean, considering where I grew up, I grew up in that state in the Midwest that, that tells California and Hawaii we're just as good as you are. That state's Nebraska. So I be, so I'm, I'm a re- rather huge volleyball fan myself. And one thing following your story fired me up because not only, not only are you another trans woman playing a sport, you're playing a sport I really love. What were you left with when you finally left the court as far as the feelings after the Santa Cruz experience? I mean, has part of it, as part of you not getting back in the court, how much of that came from kind of the bad taste in your mouth kind of feel after what happened to Santa Cruz, if that happened at all? Well, this isn't something I'm super fond of saying, but after my season at UC Santa Cruz, I um, did develop PTSD about the whole thing. Um, I couldn't actually look at volleyball on TV for probably two and a half years without having some sort of flashbacks about the way that my coach had treated me. Um, And it really made it hard to feel like I could love something that was such a big part of my life 
I played volleyball for 14 years and now I'm 27. So that's still more than half my life. And it feels like I can't, I couldn't even look at or acknowledge volleyball. And that really hurts. It feels like part of me was taken away and I felt very empty for quite a number of months afterwards. How have you dealt with that? These days, um, I've kind of channeled a lot of that physical energy into doing other things that I enjoy. Um, I have been working on a game, a, a card game uh, that I've been really excited about. I have been um, participating in some of my local LARPs in the Los Angeles area. So I've I've tried to look elsewhere and try and continue to find hobbies that I enjoy that are outside of volleyball, but it's really hard when something so big and so fundamental to my identity for so long in my life gets treated the way that it did. It just felt like something I was incredibly proud of and loved to talk about just completely got removed from the topic of conversation for me for a while. And that, that really hurts. And I don't want to um, make the hurt worse, but I guess, it makes sense that you would probably, you know, remove yourself from the thing that you were removed from when it hurt. I mean, if, if volleyball was the source of that pain, not discussing it, not being part of it um, was part of a healing process. I would like to get your insight, though, into something that I've reported for Outsports. You know, there's a transgender okay. girl and um, Carly mentioned Hawaii. She's playing on her high school volleyball team in Hawaii. She's the first in her high school, first in Hawaii, as far as we know, who's out playing high school volleyball. And parents have raised concerns that as a transgender girl, she's too strong, she's too powerful, and she doesn't belong on the court with other girls. One parent reached out to me after reading my article. She's a mom who said that her daughter suffered a concussion because during practice, the transgender girl spiked the ball so hard that it knocked her out, knocked her daughter out. She claimed there was even another cisgender volleyball player who also suffered a head injury because of the strength of this transgender girl. Now, not knowing the case itself, we were all basically saying volleyball is not exactly, you know, what we would consider a real contact sport in terms of physical injury. What do you have to say about that? Is there is there a concern that a transgender girl might be overpowering um, cisgender girls uh, either on her team or on other teams? Well, I think this goes back to our question earlier about what the core fundamental cultural difference between men and women's volleyball particularly are. So it feels like um, in men's volleyball, as I was saying earlier, they kind of bond over these really big, powerful plays. And I think that that sort of culture when you transition is something that you slowly need to unlearn. And so there's not really a huge difference between professional men and professional women's like top volleyball speed. It, it varies within like a 10 or 15 mile an hour limit. Um, well, I should say on average. So I don't think that it's significantly different. A high level women's volleyball player should be hitting just about as hard as a high-level men's volleyball player. So I, I don't know if I feel like that complaint is necessarily 
entirely valid or if it's just an excuse to try and make things worse. Um, I got, I almost got a concussion playing volleyball, slamming my head in the ground, diving. Uh, people will, will get concussions playing volleyball because we do throw ourselves on the ground really hard. Um, and we do run really fast and <laughs> when we do it. And so trying to put all the blame on a trans woman to me feels a little ridiculous. I think that culturally men and women's volleyball are very different, but I feel like it's not that different. <laughs> now, Don, when I was reading the story, the first thing I was thinking was of uh, you realize you're you're on you're in Hawaii. You understand that. I mean, if you want to know what women can do with the volleyball, go up to the University of Hawaii and watch Dave Shoji's teams play. Oh I yeah. Mean, that whole situation makes no sense. I I played against in community college. There was a top fifty NCAA Division One recruit who was playing for the community college in my um in my area. And she had, I, I believe at the time, an 87% kill rate, which is insane, first off. Putting someone who's a top 50 Division One recruit in with community college players can never really spell anything good for anyone else in the conference. Um, and she had an 87% kill rate, and she ended up going and playing for Hawaii. And she was a 6'4", 6'5", five cis woman who could slam a ball incredibly hard. <laughs> I, I watched the ball hit many girls in the face uh, who are only about a foot and a half, maybe two feet away from the net. And yeah, that's the type of level of volleyball you'll be seeing. And, and she was tall. She was strong. She could jump. She was all sorts of awesome and terrifying at the same time on the court. Kill rate. What is a kill rate? That sounds scary. So uh, kill rate in volleyball terminology is more or less when you attack the ball. Um, we don't call it spiking. We just call it hits or attacks based off of the situation. So when you, when you attack the ball, uh, if the ball hits the ground immediately, the play ends, and that's considered a kill. Or if the ball hits one person and then touches the ground, then that is also considered a kill. Well, I'm relieved. I'm... <laughs> Had me a little worried there. Volleyball terminology is pretty funny. Uh, we also have waffles and pancakes. Okay, I'm hungry now. What are waffles and pancakes? Uh, waffling is what it's called when you get a bad contact on a ball when you're hitting. And it kind of just whiffs really soft. And you just watch the ball kind of just go away from your hands really like awkwardly or slowly. Um, and a pancake is when a ball. Okay. So I don't know if you see this very often, but when someone stretches their hand out flat on the ground and they get, keep the ball in the air by keeping their hands perfectly flat on the ground is considered a pancake. It's a, it's very hard to do. <laughs> I've done it once, once. I'm still trying to figure out how I did it. <laughs> yeah, I think that that's about the same number for me. I, I never really practiced doing it, so I, I never got good at it. No, strangely enough, it was while I was covering a, it was while I was covering a college volleyball team. I was working out for a day with a Division two team that won a national championship. 
if you've ever been on a court and you've ever like, you realize that it's a lot, that things are going a lot faster in your brain can process. That's what happened to me. It was on accident. Oh, wait a minute. That sound means it's time for a break. We'll be back with more Chloe Cy Anderson plus her favorite Star Trek series. It's all coming up on the Transporter Room. Welcome back to the Transporter Room. We are joined by Chloe Cy Anderson. Now, one thing I heard earlier is that, Chloe, you LARP. So I want to know, I mean, what's the latest LARP campaign you're in and what character are you playing? Oh, my goodness. Um, so I am currently playing in a LARP called Twin Mask. That's the one that uh, I just started this year. It is a fantasy setting LARP, and it is run in the LA area. Um, and I'm playing a half dragon who has gold scales. So I'm a golden half dragon. Okay, a golden half dragon. What made you pick that particular character? Half dragons in the LARP have the ability to essentially eat expired food and eat trash. And I thought that was really funny. It is. So I wanted to get the ability to eat trash and just bring in a bunch of pickled foods that look kind of gross and just eat a bunch of pickled food in front of my friends and make them freak out. All right. So, so how's the game going? Good, good. Um, I can't really reveal too many spoilers, um, but it's going pretty well. I'm, I went from playing a frontline shield fighter in a different LARP for years to going to being a merchant in this one. So it's, it's fun. It's entertaining. I am so happy to hear that you're going back to school. What attracted you to history? Well, I've always loved history since about fourth grade. Um, I used to watch the History Channel a lot as a kid before it became the Ice Road Trucker Channel. And um, <laughs> I just, I loved how interesting history was. Something that always struck, uh, something that always stuck with me is a poem that I read as a kid that was a Egyptian love poem written on a piece of pottery. And it struck me how this poem was written around like 2000 BCE and it just feels like a lot of what is or what defines humanity has existed throughout all of history. So people are just as smart as they've always been. People are as intelligent as they've always been. And really just the accumulation of information and knowledge over time has what's allowed us to continue to move forward scientifically and morally and artistically but it feels like we're still very connected and still very much tied to the past in our decision making our thought process the way that our emotions are and the way that we continue to analyze and attempt to solve problems so history to me is very deeply ingrained in the present 
Another love of yours is something that Carly and I share. You told us that you love Star Trek. In particular, there's one show in the franchise that really means something to you. It's something that you and I are definitely big fans of. What show is that? That is Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Oh, break my heart. I love it. Did you see that they made a, um, a documentary about um, the years since uh, Deep Space Nine went off the air and what it meant to all the cast and crew? I did not. I need to see this. Yeah, it's called What We Left Behind. And they even imagined, they got the writers together to imagine what would the next episode be like all these years later. Oh my goodness, that sounds wonderful. Oh, it's great. It's really amazing. Carly, which show of uh, the Star Trek franchise is your favorite? Well, I liked them all for different reasons. Um, I, I thought, I mean, as far as DS9 goes, I always like, I always like the way that they do. I always like, like, the story of it, uh, kind of the, the subset of the world and the universe that they built the, it was always, I always thought was the best written Star Trek, Star, Star Trek show of the franchise outside of, I mean, post the original series. I always thought it was the best written one. I also thought it was one of the better act. It was probably even, I would dare say the best acted one. Um, I, I mean, I mean, I mean, Rene Audrey Benoit, um, Avery Brooks, they had some, they had an excellent ensemble cast with that show. And I think to me, as far as just acting chops, it was the best of the group. But I mean, I mean, I'll always be loyal to, to the TOS, to the original series. But as far as the, fra- I mean, the whole franchise is excellent, but DS, DS9 from strictly an acting standpoint, story standpoint, to me was the best of the group. Now, would you two agree that you'll be watching the CBS All Access show, Star Trek Picard? Because I got to be at Comic-Con uh, this summer when they debuted the new trailer and uh, listened to Patrick Stewart and the rest of the people on the show uh, talk about it. I'm very excited. I'm super excited. I'm really looking forward to watching it. Uh, I thought that it was interesting to see Data again after such a long period of time and the, the actor's face has kind of changed. Um, so I, I kind of want to see what they do with everyone in the show. But yeah, I'm super excited. They had me at Dad, it's Jean-Luc Picard. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love Jonathan Frakes. And he's directing the other series, Star Trek Discovery. Isn't it amazing we have two Star Trek series coming back I just feel really excited about Star Trek being alive again. There was this period which it just didn't exist, and you know, it, it's only in reruns and old movies. And it's nice to nice to know that Star Trek will be there as we go older and older, and um, and new generations are are getting on board, and that's just exciting. Chloe, I am so delighted you got to join us today, and I hope that we'll talk to you again, and you keep us informed on on your studies and everything else that's happening in your life. Yeah, of course. You'll definitely know what's happening in my life. (laughs) (laughs) All right, with that, Carly, why don't you uh, hit the uh, transporter coordinates and send her back to Irvine, California, and uh, we'll look forward to talking to you again. (laughs) Engineering, one to beam down. Chloe, you're an inspiration to me. Thank you. Thank you. And that wraps up the transporter room, our fourth episode I can't wait till next week when we're going to talk to somebody who is a scholar. 
Bethany Grace Howe will be beaming up from Portland to talk to us about a study she's done about the transgender community. So make sure you tune in. We'll be on every weekend now. Our new days are the weekends on the Transporter Room. Carly, it's great talking to you again. Don, it's always a pleasure. Steady she goes, Mr. Sewell.